All right, are we all ready? Now I gotta remember what I say. <laughs> Hi, this is Margaret Spence. How are you? And my pronoun is Margaret. I haven't picked one. And so I'm going to go with that. Hello, welcome to the latest edition of HR Wonder Women. Uh, I am your host, Wendy. And with me as always is Anne. How are you, Anne? I am good, Wendy. I um, Before we hit record, we got to have a little bit of a debrief about what's going on in our personal lives. And mm -hmm. I got to vent about family members. <laughs> and I've been pretty open on social, on Twitter in particular, because I don't have a lot of relatives there. So I've been pretty open about my father-in-law's health. And it was just nice to share with friends um, and feel some support. So I'm good. Yes. Good, 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 good. It, you know, it hasn't been easy. We've been in... Um, month seven of COVID. Seven, eight, 10,002. It's the fifth year of 2020. Um, or it feels like, um, and it's snowing in South Dakota. I don't know what month it is now because I was good with October. We were celebrating the fall colors and um, when my daughter and I were driving to church earlier, I was like, uh, it feels like the middle of December right now. I'm completely lost. <laughs> so, wow. but you know what? That's okay because it's 2020 <laughs> and we're still in it. We're getting through it. Um, we're, we're on the, the, the sliding down latter half of 2020. So here's hoping 2021 will be a lot better. Mm. Absolutely. Anyway, um, well, we're going to jump in because I am so excited that Margaret Spence has joined us as a repeat guest, our first HR Wonder Woman repeat guest. And um, she had commented on a LinkedIn post that she would love to come back. And I will be honest, I did a little happy dance that she wanted to come back because uh, excited just to, to catch up and, and chat with Margaret again. I think this is going to be awesome. So we'll dive right in. Um, but we always start with our pronouns and how we identify um, because that's part of some of the work we're doing here is um, keeping track of how we see the world and how the world sees us. Um, so I am Wendy. I am white, straight, cisgender, um, Christian, female, um, and able-bodied, um, non-disabled, able-bodied slash non-disabled. <laughs> Um, and, uh, yes, uh, as we usually say, name the, name the privilege and we, I probably have it. Um, how about you, Anne? Yeah. Thanks, Wendy. Um, yeah, I think that identifying is important because uh, like you said, it's not just how, the lens that I view the world with, because we can work to see the world broader than who we are and the world will continue to see us to a large extent in, in the privileges that we hold. So I am a white, straight, cisgender woman. My pronouns are she, her. Um, I am also non-disabled. Um, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm very cognizant that I carry a lot of privilege in this world. Um, and with that, I am super excited to introduce Margaret Spence. Margaret was our first guest on the Wonder Woman podcast. We didn't know that it was going to be a series. <laughs> uh, uh, for, for folks who weren't listening back then, uh, Wendy and John were doing the HR Social Hour podcast, and I had I first 
uh, saw Margaret speak at the uh, SHRM Diversity and Inclusion Conference in San Francisco in fall of 2017. And so in the summer of 2018, we were in Chicago. I'm looking at Chicago, everybody yeah. like, what's yeah. it? It was Chicago. Chicago. And um, mm -hmm. this was back in the day, I think, when Margaret and I were both still um, uh, part of SHRM events. <laughs> Um, yes. And so uh, I am. I was a Sherm blogger that year, and I remember telling Wendy, "There's just too many breakouts, and I can't make any decisions. How can I know where to go?" And then I decided, well, if I just throw out all of the breakouts that are all of the sessions that are being led by white men, then that narrows down the field considerably, and I can then like then it's not overwhelming, and I can figure out where I want to go. But I knew, regardless, that I wanted to hear Margaret speak because I had heard her in San Francisco and. Um, she's a, a really compelling speaker. And one of the things that I really love is that you leave Margaret's sessions with um, kind of both like a broader understanding of ideas and tangible things to do to, to have those ideas really impact um, your work. And so I was excited and I told Wendy and Wendy wasn't able to join because she had a commitment at that time. And so we said, well, let's just invite, let's just do a spinoff, a one-off, where I'll come and join Wendy and we'll talk to Margaret and it'll just be a one-time thing. And it went so well. And we thought we should keep doing this. And here we are just over <laughs> two years later. Um, and so I am very, very excited to introduce, to reintroduce once again, Margaret Spence, um, the founder of the Employee to CEO Project and the CEO of C. Douglas and Associates Inc. Um, she's a keynote speaker and author, a business strategist and a visionary trailblazer. Uh, Margaret is a transformational leadership development expert, keynote speaker, business strategist, and champion for women in the C-suite. Determined to create a glide path for diversity and inclusion in executive leadership, Margaret launched the Employee to CEO Project, a global initiative aimed at increasing the representation of women with specific emphasis on minority women in C-level leadership roles. Her bold mission to empower 10,000 women over the next five years into executive leadership and ultimately into the C-suite. Margaret has authored three books. Her latest book, Leadership Self-Transformation, 52 Career-Defining Questions Every High-Achieving Woman Must Answer, challenges women to clarify their vision, pivot from expert to leader, and build the career they want. To learn more about Margaret, you can visit her website, which is www.employeetoceoproject.com. And we will add that into the show notes. Um, and so, Margaret, let's jump right in. We know that intersectionality matters. It's one of the reasons that we do this podcast. And uh, we all have many ways which we identify. And different parts of our identity matter more in some spaces than others. So when thinking about this conversation, how do you identify? So... You know, it's been something that I've been grappling with. And so one of the one of the questions that I ask women is without the label, who will you become? It's a question that I ask. It's actually a card that I hand out now at a lot of sessions that I do, not that I'm doing them in person anymore. But I think that in life, um, we're chasing symbols. And I think that when we chase symbols, we settle for the map instead of the territory that the symbol acquires. It's a different view. Um, there was a time when I would identify as Margaret, mom, daughter, um, cousin, friend, um, speaker, author, and all of that. One of the neat things about COVID-19 
is that it's forced all of us to unpack ourselves. And today I posted a thing onto LinkedIn and I said, when was the first time you fell in love with yourself? And do you remember that time? And I think that in the work that we are all doing, we tend to um, grab the labels and that stops us from doing the real work. And every week, every month, every quarter, someone will sit in their nice cubicle somewhere and come up with a new identity. They'll drop it out there. The last one was biopic and they dropped it on the planet and everybody ran around saying, oh, you know, I'm biopic now. Okay, great. Uh, Good, I'm good you're biopic. I'm happy you got the label. Good, (laughs) check that box. For me, um, the labels don't matter anymore. It's the work. I think the work speaks for itself. And I think that um, it's easy for us to exchange ourselves for the symbols that we want to acquire. And that's some deep introspective stuff. But I think that's for me, that's where I'm at. I want to support everyone. And that support looks different depending on the person that shows up at the door. Yeah, that's a lot. That's, there's a lot there. (laughs) There's a lot there. That's a lot to unpack. And I'm really struck by that idea of we settle for the map instead of the territory. Mm -hmm. That's huge. Because we we want to we want to feel that the, the label helps us to feel like we belong to something, mm-hmm. but at some point we have to disconnect from whatever it is that we think we belong to, and really go deeper and go below the surface and go really into the depths of where we are versus the surface identification. Once we get judged by the surface identification, whatever that identification is, then the rest becomes a blanket statement on, I've identified you, I've identified you. So I don't really need to do the work to know you. I don't need to do that work. I've labeled you. And so I constantly ask the question because I think one of the big challenges for all of us is that when we take on the label, whatever that label is that we've accepted, and there's, again, and I wanna preface this by saying, I'm not against people taking on a label or an identifier. That's not what this is. This is some deeper conversation than that. Once we take that on, then we live up to that label that we've assigned to ourselves. And when that label is taken away from us, we're lost. I have a very good friend um, and she's my mentor and just an amazing person. You guys probably know um, Bev Kay. She's career source and she's written a lot of book up. It's not the only way and so on. And she sat down with me one day and she said, Margaret, your business is not you because the second the business isn't there, you're not there. And when Mm -hmm. you intertwine your business and yourself, the reality is they're not one. The business is an entity. You are a person all standing on your own. You see that a lot when people lose their jobs, like right now in this economy, in this place that we're in. We saw this a lot in 2008 when people lost their jobs. They couldn't function. They couldn't breathe. Mm -hmm. They couldn't adjust. They couldn't pivot. Um, You also see it when people are expecting the job title and they don't get it. And when they don't get the job title, they feel defeated. And so a woman will show up, a high-level executive woman will show up 
in my practice and they will say, well, I wanted to be division president and they gave it to someone else. And where it comes out more starkly is you'll see their resume and you will notice on the resume that all of their accomplishments are missing because they didn't accept the accomplishment. They wanted the label, they wanted the title. And, it, and the title exchanges itself from the deep work that we have to do with each other and for each other. Yes, to all of that. And there's a lot to sit with and think of. And, and that this calls for a lot of introspection, for sure. But one thing that made me curious, you were, you were talking about, right? Like when you, if I, if I take on the label, then I live up to that. And if I assign a label to somebody else, then that's, I've set my expectation for them. Mm-hmm. How do you resist the labels that the world is trying to put on you? So part of that work is when people talk to me, I don't give them my background. I don't give them all the stuff. I don't talk about my training, my X, Y, Z. I I meet people at a place and I say, so tell me how you're doing. Because I don't want to think about, well, I know your name is Anne. You know my name is Margaret. Wendy, I know your name is Wendy. I know that much about you. But beyond that surface, I want you to tell me who you are rather than me assuming who you are. Because the assumption is part of what becomes our blind spot when we're dealing with people. We, we make so many assumptions about them that we never stop to say, who are you? You know, um, I did a program for HR Tampa here locally a few weeks back, and I opened it up and I said, I'm Jamaican. I arrived in the United States when I was three years old, and I identify as Jamaican. I said, so let me tell you my story. I didn't take on the label. I told my story. I gave you what I wanted you to know about me. Right. And a lot of this is trust. As I feel I can trust you, I can share more and more about myself with you without you saying, oh, she's a mom and all the stuff that goes with that. It's really simple. And so I'm struggling personally with the pronoun thing that's now the new thing. I was actually went and looked it up because I, I wanted to figure out. I went back to like 1840 when we first started making the gender identification in the 1900s. And funny enough, this is um, the year women got the right to vote. We're celebrating that um, this year as well. And that's where the pronoun actually started, was at the point where women got the right to vote. We wanted to not make the assumption of he, so we, we came up with she and her. And then we sort of evolved it and tried to make it neutral. And then it became they and then them. And it didn't sound as right and it didn't translate as well. And the Swedish came up with their own, you know, thing around it. And so, and and this is probably the 20th iteration based on the research I did of us trying and attempting to give people another identifier. Okay. But in those 20 iterations of this, we've never truly talk to people, the, 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 the naming came out and the people got lost in the process. I don't care what you want to call yourself. It's fine. That's who you are. You decide. But I also get to decide that I don't want to take any of it. I want to be Margaret. 
right? Yeah. And yes. whether it's a he or she, whatever you want to add the, the Margaret to the Margaret, you add the Margaret to the Margaret, it's Margaret, you know? Mm-hmm. And that takes a lot to, to, to sort of peel back. I said, slowly, when you asked me today for my bio, slowly I've been reworking my bio to say less about right. me and more about what I do. Right. Mm-hmm. More and more. What my goal is, what's this mission I have rather than, you know, I've spent 21 years building my business. I've done blah, blah, blah. Rather than saying all of that, I try to have this whole different place. I think, you know, I think it is, it's a nuanced discussion and I, I love your take on it, um, Margaret, because as humans, some of the research that I'm doing, I think that's opened my eyes is that as humans, you know, our brain automatically wants to categorize things. Mm-hmm. And so we are fighting against that to get out of that categorization, to getting out of, of that and seeing people a- as the person that they are and, and trying to put poorly, uh, put words to that. So mm-hmm. I, I appreciate what you have shared because I think it adds to the discussion um, and, and everything else that, uh, yeah, everything. There's so much going on. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I think it. I think it does give. It gives people permission to say, yeah. "I don't want to do that." And I think that's the 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 thing too that we have to be aware of is if we are going to ask people to make a choice, we need to be ready for them to say, "My choice is to not identify that way." Right. Yeah. Yeah. So and and it being okay. Yeah. And being so, okay with that because we're we're asking you to be share who you are. Right. I think we could go on and on. I, yes. I love I'm sure. yeah. really but, our, uh, could have built our entire podcast on just our first question. I think we could have. <laughs> so then um so then Margaret, talk to us about what unique challenges the that uh, women of color are facing right now in the workplace in this pandemic world and how can HR professionals step up and help with those challenges? I think I think the unique challenge that um, that women of color are facing right now is the fact that we were already invisible before COVID-19. Most organizations are still hiding behind the, you know, we don't know how to promote Black women. We don't know how to advance them into leadership. We don't know how to make this all work. Um, now that you've sent Black professionals home, both men and women, and we were already invisible before. The question is, how do we remain visible? How do we continue to build a career trajectory? Um, how do we help our leadership team see our value and continue to see our value? And how do we um, find the resilience to keep going even if we don't feel like we're moving forward? So it's a twofold twofold challenge. And even a bigger challenge, I think, for Black professionals right now in general is being able to navigate these new organizational roadblocks and these new organizational challenges around Black empowerment, diversity, and inclusion. Um, what I'm finding a lot is organizations are still putting their inclusion strategy on the backs of Black people and brown people to help them figure out how they're going to be inclusive, how they're going to build equity and inclusion. I could tell you that over the last several months, I've been coaching a lot of women who 
are calling me because they have now been assigned the diversity director role on top of their regular role. And these um, individuals are not even in HR. You know, a lot of them are in different um, departments outside of HR. And they've now been told, well, since you were the most vocal person about diversity and inclusion, you ought to be the one tapped to make this work. So I think those are the the big challenges. I think there's also um, a challenge of being authentic. You know, we may have been vocal, but how much is that vocal noise being held against us now? Because organizations are still stuck in the way they've always done it. I want to go, you you're talking about remaining visible at the beginning of your answer, which I think is something that a lot of businesses struggle with, regardless of, of who you are. I think that, you know, that's why they don't like sending people home. They don't like that work from home because you're not there. You, I can't see you. Um, what, what are some ways that, that we can be sure not just, you know, not, not just for ourselves, but that we're lifting up others, that we're lifting up those people of color, those women of color that, um, that we can help boost their signal a little bit, just to make sure that we're getting the right people in front of, we're helping to maintain that visibility as HR professionals. You know, it's difficult. Um, I, I'm going to be honest with you. This One of the things that I, I want um, your listeners to understand is, The work of diversity and inclusion and the work of building your career is not a one-off. We're going to find perfection. It takes a commitment and it also takes focus. It takes a unique understanding of what's the value proposition that that the individual is bringing to the table and what's the value proposition that the organization sees in that individual. Um, What I don't want to see happen is that we go back into a mode of constantly having to prove ourselves. Like we, we pop back into, okay, I, I don't think I've proven myself enough. Now that I'm working remotely, I need to prove myself again and prove myself again and prove myself again. I think that um, one of the things that I've been recommending to women of color to do is create a business plan for the work you're doing and make sure that that business plan has a level of check-in that goes to your leadership team so that you're not operating in a silo by yourself and you're producing and turning things out and nobody's really recognizing that you are the one doing the work. So I think for from an HR perspective and from a leadership perspective, it's, it's imperative that, um, that organizations create these touch points and also create this feed forward almost, as, as Marshall Goldschmidt says, a feed forward strategy. What are you doing? The, the continuous discussion around the value the person's bringing, a continuous discussion around where their career path is going, a continuous discussion around you know the, the level of work that is being given, and a discussion around rewarding people for the work they're doing. Because I think right now, one of the one of the things that I've seen in my own interaction with organizations is because it's virtual, it doesn't have value. Okay. For some reason, we have it in our head that virtual devalues the work. Okay. Or we feel that we can extend the person's scope, extend the person's level of responsibility because they are virtual 
And we feel that rather than looking at the quality of work, we would rather pile on quantity of work. And then if the quantity isn't being done, then the quality is what we fall back to is, well, your quality isn't that good, but I've given you 99 new things to do. Because I think working at home is such an easy thing. Go for it. Women of color and women in general need to continually re-evaluate the positions they are in. It's not a set it and leave it. You have to reevaluate it. Now that I've moved to a virtual environment, what is my reporting structure? Did it stay the same? Do I have new responsibilities that have new reporting structures? How do I evaluate what I'm bringing to the table? How do they know what I'm bringing to the table? And if I'm being pushed too much, is this tenable for me long-term? In listening to that, I'm just thinking about, you know, what, what can HR be doing? And it sounds like what HR can be doing is helping have those kinds of conversations with senior leaders so that, you know, in an, in an ideal world, individual women aren't doing this alone and pushing back alone, that HR is, is there saying, wait a minute, just because it's virtual doesn't mean that you go pile in a bunch of stuff on top of people. And let's make sure that we're reevaluating reporting structures. And let's make sure that we're evaluating workloads. And let's talk about the fact that it's a flipping pandemic. This isn't just, ooh, work from home. I was struck when you were talking earlier about like the, the need to build resilience. And whenever I hear that, I always think, yes, and structures need to change so that people don't have to be so resilient. Right. I agree. Structures, structures need to change, but HR needs to really, you know, we always say HR needs to be strategic. HR needs to be more granular. Yeah, I've heard you say um, that before. It's really interesting. It's, it's, it's granular. It's not this high level, highfalutin, you know, wordsmithed down process. It's granular. Um, what do I need to educate my managers on? We, we, we always make an assumption that people know how to do things. Okay. What I find is 99% of the people who are in supervision and management probably wouldn't have been eligible for, you know, being a, a farmhand. That's the reality because we don't do an effective job of training managers. Now, what we've done is we've taken managers and said, go manage a remote workforce. And our answer to that is, let's see who's on the screen. Let's put in, you know, things to check to make sure people are on the screen and they're making the phone calls and they're doing this and doing that. But there really is no back-end leadership that's being given to the supervisory and the management team and the executive team around what it means to have continuity for individuals who are now working at home, okay? And so what HR needs to do is get granular and realize that the the whatever we think we learned in the books and whatever we think we we learned at the last seminar or, or webinar or whatever we went to is not practical because the people teaching it aren't actually doing the work. They're teaching it. And so you are the one doing the work. And if you're doing the work, then it's important that you put yourself in the seat of the person who is being managed or supervised or lost in the system or invisible in your hierarchy or any of the spots. If you as HR can't put yourself in that person's seat and begin to shine a lens from their lens where you say, okay, if I were this person, what would I be thinking? How would I feel about this situation? Wow, I'd feel 
oh, well, that's probably how they feel. So we, we can't make any assumptions. Um, I, I think one of the lessons from 2020 is rethink everything. Rethink it, reimagine it, retool it, um, dismantle whatever silos or you know um, irrelevant images we have, how things should be, and refocus on what can I do to help women, help people of color, help um, men and women in my workforce succeed during the pandemic so that they don't lose the track that they were already on. So there's not this, oh, the pandemic is over. Oh, but you lost two years of, of, of career trajectory and we don't even know where to pick you up at, but we're going to move on anyway. Because what's going to happen as it did in 2008, let me remind everybody that's forgotten 2008. Let's go back there, folks. Um, in 2008, we had economic crisis, lots of layoffs, lots of stuff going on. People got comfortable. They cut people's salaries. They gave them 99,000 things to do. But eventually that ended and people scattered to the wind. Your employees right now today, people of color working for your organization, are keenly focused on how you are treating them. We are hypersensitive to how we are being treated. And we're no longer giving organizations a pass. You know, I'll give you an example. Last week I was on LinkedIn and I went off the edge on business and insurance. Their, their editor-in-chief, um, he published 21, in 2021 people in the insurance industry to watch. L emerging leaders um, and executives to watch in 2020. While there were five women on the list, there was no person of color. There's no black woman, no black man, nothing. And his response to me was, well, we make the list from information being sent to us from the various insurance carriers across the country. There's 9,800 or some insurance carriers. So nobody had a black executive to watch in 2021. And you have no lens to see that maybe this was a problem and you and your team should have done a deeper dive and made an additional phone call to find a person of color to put on the list. So somebody like me wouldn't be totally offended. You're still making that mistake. HR still making that mistake. You've shared on LinkedIn, um, you know, the struggles Wells Fargo famously shared the, their, their quote, pipeline issues, which we can all laugh about that, but they've been struggling with black leadership in their pipeline. And then at the same time, you shared what Jamaica's banks are doing right in regards to women in leadership. So what is Jamaica getting right? What are they doing that we're not? And what are some ways that, that we can help build that pipeline, be better with the, the people that we're putting in front of leaders when they're making those choices for who to put into those spots? Great question. That post actually had about 50,000 views or so, 60,000 views that I put on it. And it had about 10,000 people responding to it. So it's pretty interesting. There are eight or 10, there are eight major commercial banks in Jamaica, four led by women, four led by men. One of the, beyond the fact that we don't have a race issue, <laughs> Jamaica is a black country for the most part. However, Jamaica is also one of the most diverse countries in the entire planet. There are multiple nationalities living on that little island. So I think we've, we've overcome that in terms of, is it a race issue? 
what we have done, I think, is given women opportunities at every level of their career. There's not a point where it's, oh, you're not ready yet. If you're qualified, you get the job. If you've, if, you've, if you've qualified, done your time, done all the things we've asked you to do, you're in line for the promotion. You're going to get the promotion. What happens here and what happened in the case of Wells Fargo, because prior to his um, you know, foot and mouth event, there were eight Black women who had been hired by Wells Fargo in very senior roles who departed over six months. They came and went just as fast as they were hired. Part of it is, it's not enough to hire me. I have to feel like you care about me while I'm working for you. I have to feel that you um, want me in your midst. It's not the fancy thing about belonging. It's just about respect. You know, we tend to, as I said at the very beginning of this, of this, we tend to want to add these nice, cute, you know, sexy words to things. And we'll go you know, well, it's, it's inclusion, it's equity, it's belonging. No, it's respect. You know, you don't respect me. As a woman, as a person of color, as a man of color, you don't respect me. And you show the disrespect all the time. So before I want to um, feel that I belong, I have to feel that I am respected, that my opinions matter. It's not about the warm and fuzzy. Are you going to allow me to celebrate Black History Month? Are you going to let me wear my Black Lives Matter t-shirt? It's not about that. It's about respect. If you don't have the basis of feeling feeling, or, or creating the place where I feel that I am equal to my peers, there's no amount of belonging or inclusion or diversity training or, you know, blind spot training or, you know, um, anti-bias training that's going to stop that. So it really starts with organizations understand, understanding that you don't move the bar when I've met the bar, because that's what happens here, is you give me the list, I check them all off, I come back to you and I say, I've done it. And you say, well, there's four more things to go. No, where's my reward at the end of this table? Black professionals are doing what I have been recommending for years. Leave faster. Don't give these organizations the benefit of the doubt anymore. Even if you have to take a sideways position, go somewhere where you can go home at night and sleep. Put your head on the pillow and not be stressed out. Not having the voices in the back of your head. Not being so demoralized that... When you do end up looking for a job, you're, you can't even prepare for the next job because the current job has demoralized you so much that you're not prepared for the next job. Those are the key. Those are the key things. It comes down to respect. One of the things that Jamaica has figured out is there's a level of respect for women in the profession. If I've checked the box, you respect me in the room that I'm in. I have the ability to advance myself. I don't fight the battle of race, which I'd love to see if we could get there one day. And I'm able to show up fully as myself. You know, if I show up fully as myself, people are going to say, oh, my God, you know, who is this woman? We didn't hire her. Yes, you did. You hired me. But I can't show up as myself. I go home being angry with, with my organization every night. That's where most Black professionals are. We go home angry.
and we talk to our spouses, our significant others, the dog, whoever wants to listen to us. And we get up and we come back the next day to more disrespect. Yeah. So, I mean, so it's not even, it's not a pipeline issue. It's, it's not because if you don't respect me, you can't even put me on your pipeline. You know, we, we tend to go into this, you know, as I said to you guys, we, we, we like to add labels. You know, we, we, we are a society that lives and dies by a label. Okay. We live and die by labels, but we don't call a thing a thing. You could say, oh, our pipeline has a hole in it. No, your pipeline has a respect issue. You don't respect my, my, my uh, qualifications. You don't respect my contribution. You don't respect my knowledge. You don't respect how hard I'm working for you, right? And because you don't respect that, you can't build a pipeline. So here's, here's the deal. Let me give you an example. I was working with an organization called Way Up, and they, um, they do early career recruiting, and they have an amazing software that they use. And we did this, um, this special report. Um, they authored it, and I sort of gave some advice around it. And one of the things that we discussed was the fact that um, organizations will say, well, we, we only recruit from the following schools. So we have a list of schools that we recruit from. For example, Wells Fargo, he only wants people who came from the same company that he was at before. I think he was at Morgan Stanley. So that's where he goes to for all his people. That means you don't respect any other school. You don't respect any other training. You have no respect for anything that is not in your lens that you've already created. None. So you'll say, oh, we go to historically black colleges and universities to recruit. Fabulous. But we only go to these two because the other 10 or 20, we don't, we don't go there because we don't think their degree is good enough. You don't respect the, the product that the school is putting out, right? But then you also don't go to your local college in your local city to recruit individuals there where there's, you know, tons of Black students on most college campuses. I don't know that a college campus exists that doesn't have Black students on it. But you don't go there because that's a local school and we want top tier schools. You don't respect the local school. You don't respect the fact that the person struggled financially and they may have been a genius, but this is the school their budget could afford and they're coming out of there with a 4.0 GPA, but that school's not good enough for you because you don't recruit there. Everything comes down to the lens of respect. It's not a pipeline issue. If you want to build a pipeline, you can. But the people who work for you right now that you have overlooked over and over and over again, you don't respect their capabilities. You don't. And it doesn't matter what they do. You're never going to get up and respect them. And so you justify that by saying, well, they're not good enough yet. There's a lot of truth. Yeah, it's absolutely. True. It's, and it, and, and absolutely. The, the lens of respect applies everywhere. So on the hierarchy of how we see people, you can help me feel like I belong, but you can also disrespect me at the same time. And we don't talk about this piece because it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to admit that part of the reason why people of color aren't moving up the ladder is because you don't respect the work that they're doing for your company and you don't respect their contribution and you found ways to demoralize the contribution and empower the disrespect. It's a tough subject, but I think it's one we need to have. 
we need to stop dancing the, you know, we're building a diversity program, we're building an inclusion program, we're building a belonging, we're going to make people feel like they belong, we're going to do engagement, yada, yada, yada. Oh, no. When are you going to respect the people that work for you? Start there. Because the most disrespected people on the planet are Black women. So organizations will still continue to do the kabuki dance and bend and twist like a pretzel to make themselves be more politically correct. Um, They'll feel some pressure because Kamala Harris is vice president. Nothing's going to change. Four years from now, we will still have 1% of Black women in executive leadership, as we have in the four years before. And we will continue to have organizations like Lean In and Rockefeller Foundation and all the others um, that do these annual reports and put them out. And they'll feel good that they put out the report that the numbers are still dismal and they'll go on about their way. And those of us doing the hard work will still be bumping up against the headwinds of organizations who don't really want to change. I think you hit the nail on the head there, Margaret. Um, and, And I love that you brought it down to just, it's about respect. Everything that we're trying to do with diversity, inclusion, and and being an ally um, really just comes down to to respect of individuals and of of people as a whole. So I, I love that respect the contribution, respect the person, respect mm-hmm. respect. You know, maybe we'll have to put a little Aretha at the beginning of this episode. I think. <laughs> Yeah, it, it is. It's it's really, um, you know, I I, I gave a, a speech um, a couple uh, last year at, at um, NERA, and I said, HR still thinks that they are hiring people for positions. No one is hiring for a position. You're hiring for what is possible for me as an individual mm-hmm. and what the possibilities are for my contribution to your organization. That's what you're hiring for. In the process, if you respect all parts of me, then I will thrive, I will grow, I will be groomed, I will be pushed ahead, I will be your star. If you don't, I will be sitting in the same desk 10 years from now. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I, I, I want to I give you guys one, one last little tidbit because I actually um, saw it today. The... Um, just a, just a tidbit. There was a study that was done. Um, it was done by the. Um, it, it was um, it was done by um, the G seven countries. So all the G seven countries got together and did this study around women, and the the question that was asked is: um, There's a global movement calling for great greater equality. Um, and we're hoping that the society has become more progressive. So the question is, how comfortable are you with a woman in a leadership position in comparison to a man? And 72% of the United States said, 69% of the United States said they would be comfortable with a woman CEO, maybe. But when asked even, and they dived even further into it, more than half of the United States felt that they would rather have a man in power. And so 62% of the U.S. said that they were um, comfortable with a woman as head of government, but they weren't comfortable with a woman as president. A lot of work to do. So I leave that with you as we haven't even scratched the surface yet. 
because we haven't figured out how to elevate ourselves as women to where we are seen as absolute leaders. And when we do get an opportunity to lead, the hope is that we will um, be a beacon for for those behind us. But no woman should have that on her shoulder. I shouldn't be carrying the whole planet on my shoulder, nor should any other woman. Agreed. Men don't do that. Well, Margaret, it is now time for everyone's favorite part of the show, the question connection. Yes. We're going to bring it up a bit. We got, we've yes, talked yes. about a lot of heavy stuff, so, but let's have some fun. We did mix it up a little bit because you have been on the show in the past and we're just thrilled to have you back, of course. Yeah, Love, yeah. Oh my God, we could talk for hours and hours. And uh, confidentially, everyone who's listening, uh, we did, we just aren't sharing all of it with you. (laughs) But anyway, so uh, we have thrown in a few new questions for you. Um, First question, um, what career did you dream of having when you were a child? Oh, career. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So I, funniest thing, I I wanted to be a doctor um, and actually was admitted into a pre-med program and dissected a frog. Didn't go well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, took microbiology that didn't go well either. Um, took a couple chemistry classes, those didn't go well either. (laughs) So I gave that up and decided, I went to the the person and said, what, what can I do next? And she says, well, why don't you just do psychology? Brainiac people do that. So that's where I ended up. But yeah, so that was my, my entire goal growing up was to be, um, was to be a doctor. I love it. That is a great story. I um, am glad that you ended up where you ended up because I am glad that you were in my life. Um, But that, yeah, that's funny that you never dissected a frog until you got into pre-med. No, first time dissecting a frog. And uh, I thought, this ain't going to happen. No. Humans dissecting them? Dead humans? No. (laughs) And here you are. And here I am. Oh, funny. Um, So our next question, who is a woman or some women from traditionally underrepresented groups that we should all be following? Oh, gosh. Um, I think what I'd like to see, I'd love to see us um, focusing on Native American women. There's just this um, empowerment coming out of Arizona and New Mexico. New Mexico has elected three Native women to the House of Representatives. I think that we should definitely be looking more at Native American women and and elevating them as well. I don't have a woman that I could give you a a name right off the bat, but I think in general, we need to um, broaden our our scope as women, especially for me as a woman of color, recognizing that I need to support more women other than Black women. Um, I support Black women because I am one, (laughs) but I... I really now feel this um, intense need to broaden my scope, look at how Native women have been treated, um, look at my Latina sisters and really broaden in my Asian sisters and and say, how, how much bigger can I build a tent? I love that. I think we do need to be intentional about, about who we're following and who we're listening to. Um, so I, yeah, I have, I have, Found a lot new, a lot of new Native women to follow, and it's been eye-opening. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I think so. I, I was watching, I found a group on Facebook, and um, I learned so much about, um, you know, traditions around hair, traditions around culture, and the um, 
outfits that are worn and how those outfits tie back to tradition and what the meanings and symbolism of each one is and how they're honoring um, their ancestors um, and the, the oral stories that are told that are that are continually told from time to time. I think as a country, while we have discriminated egregiously against black people, we have annihilated the native people. So I think we owe them a huge lift and especially in the HR community. Um, I don't know that we have a, you know, we'll say native American and in passing like native American. It's not like, forefront. Who are our native HR people? Who are they? Uh, Margaret, a new HR professional asks you for one piece of advice. What do you tell them? Don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't pretend that you know everything because you don't, especially if you're fresh out of school and you've taken all these beautiful HR classes. Those people that wrote those books that taught you in the classroom never, ever, ever practice as an HR professional, ever. They're academics. They think they know it all. And they've never been in front of someone who's melting down in front of them and losing it. And you're having to make an HR decision. So don't think you have the book. You don't. Find people who you can ask questions to and be honest about your lack of knowledge. That is the big thing. That is wonderful advice. So jumping to pop culture, any um, recent TV shows or movies that feature strong female cast that you think more folks should be watching? Um, oh God, you're asking me a tough one. You know, I, I am waiting for crown to start back up, right? I'm sorry. There's no diversity there, but I am like, I am like a crown fanatic, right? I am not a, um, I, I'm trying, I'm, I'm at a loss, but oh, wait, there is a movie coming out. Viola Davis, Ma Rainey, oh. uh, Black Bottom. It comes out sometime next month. It's supposed to be really, really good. It's another historic figure that's been forgotten. Oh, well, yeah. if, if Viola Davis is in it, <laughs> yes, I'm in. <laughs> yes. yes. I'm in. Oh, yeah. well, and Ma Rainey is worth exploring. Yes. yes. Her yes. life. Um, so Margaret, it is Margaret Spence Day all around the world. What are we doing to celebrate? Oh my gosh. Um, so I am, I am so celebrating just the ability to write a, write my story, basically, you know, just having this ability to write my story. So I am celebrating that and um, having the ability to just find my voice and continue to find my voice every day. And the one great thing about 2020, which has been great, is I've had to sit still. Normally I'm on the road 38, 39 weeks a year. Um, I've sat still, Um, it's been uncomfortable and I've been able to really celebrate my gifts. without pushing them out. So for me, um, this year has been just a celebration of finding my voice. So it's it's wine, um, Black Girl Magic wine. Um, <laughs> it's what I had for my birthday. It was really good. So Margaret, we've talked about some heavy things. Yeah. Um, and this has been a heavy year. Yes. Um, so we want to end with an up. So what gives you hope? Um, what gives me hope is that I can, I, I, I think I said it to you guys, but this is it. I just want to hit the go button and I see the ability to hit the go button now. Um, what gives me tons of hope is that I will no longer ever put off doing what I want to do. Um, there won't be any more excuses. 
Um, and what gives me hope is that we're having conversations now. I think we're having better conversations. I think that um, there's a whole segment of, of our population that's listening. And there's a whole segment of our population that understands that this period of COVID-19 has been a period of silence and it's been a period of growth. It's been a period of resilience, but it also is a period of finding yourself. And so the hope for me is that people will reflect on everything they've done, no longer check the boxes and just live, live, be happy, find happiness, do happy work, do work that gives you purpose. And what gives me hope is 2020 is going to be over (laughs) and the pandemic will be gone eventually. (laughs) And we will be able to hit go. (laughs) And I am on my way. I got like 40 places to go. Oh. You're going to be like seeing me posting Margaret from Kenya, Margaret from South Africa, Margaret from, you know, from wherever, Margaret from Australia, Margaret from South Africa, Margaret from, I have got a list, like I am gone. You're going to be like, does she work? No. I travel. <laughs> That's all I do. Is she speaking there? No, I'm going there to eat food. I am a massive foodie. Like I was watching Feed Fail. Have you ever watched it on Netflix? Feed Fail is the most hilarious show ever. So he goes all over the world and people feed him. So uh, yeah, so I was watching him go to all these places. I'm thinking, I'm a massive foodie. Venice, I could do that gondola thing. I've been wanting to do that forever. So that's what gives me hope. I would watch Feed Margaret. I'll just say that, you know. Food blogger, new profession. Love it. (laughs) Love it. I love it. I love it. Oh, Margaret, as always, this has been fantastic. Um, Love. Like like I said, we could talk for hours and hours and hours and we have, and um, this is a taste of it for our listeners. We love it. Um, But for those who aren't following you, how can they find you out online? Where would where should they follow you? Yeah. So a couple things I have going on. Um, I'm on Twitter at, at Margaret Spence. I'm on LinkedIn, Margaret Spence. I'm on Instagram, Margaret Spence CEO. And I'm on Facebook, Margaret Spence CEO. But I am launching a um, mentorship program um, for women starting in a couple of weeks. And it's at the employee to see it's at employee to CEO project.com. And I found that people need mentorship and um, they need a place to come to. But I also feel that people need to be willing to make an investment in themselves to get proper mentorship. And so I'm creating a platform to do that. I love it. Yeah. How about and you? I'm writing a new book. Oh, writing a new book a too. Book. Awesome. New books coming out. New book. I've got a book on diversity and a book on me. Love it. Oh my gosh. I can't wait. Yeah. So 2021 is going to be amazing. I have like two books dropping in 2021, (laughs) like simultaneously, like one drops and then a few weeks later, next one does. My editor is like running around in like a bunny rabbit now. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Oh, how about you, Anne? How can people find you? Uh, Yeah. So people can certainly find me on LinkedIn. I'm there. I am not super, super active, but I am, you know, alive and well on LinkedIn. And the best place if you want to really have interaction for me is Twitter. My handle is at Anne Tomk, A-N-N-E-T-O-M-K. And I would be happy to, um, you know, chat with anybody there. Um, And as for me, you can find me on Twitter as well. I am Wendell93. 
Um, and please join the HR Social Hour Twitter chat for our twice monthly Twitter chat on um, the second and fourth Sunday of each month. We have a lot of fun there. We try to keep it light since it is a Sunday evening, 7 p.m. Eastern time. Um, but again, this has been fantastic. Um, so excited to be able to share your voice again, Margaret. Mm, love listening you. to you. Love chatting with you. Um, so happy you joined us here and uh, can't wait to see what 2020 brings for all of us, obviously two new books, which will definitely yeah, help for you yeah. for sure. So excited yeah. for, yeah. heck, I'm just excited for 2021. I'll be honest. Um, yes, I, agree. <laughs> I agree. I just oh, want to so, hit, I'm telling you ladies, I, I got go. the pause button on, pause button. Hit go, let's hit go. go. Uh, so thank you all for joining us today and uh, for the HR Social Hour and for HR Wonder Women. This is Wendy. Now go tell your story.